This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Welcome again to another episode of The Lydia Project. I'm Taryn Hayes, and today my guest is Kate Mutung. Now, she's an author of the book A Place to Land, A Story of Longing and Belonging, as well as a couple of other books, one called Letters to Grief and another one called Influence, Building a Platform that Elevates Jesus and Not Me. She's the host of Five Minute Friday, which is an online community that encourages and equips Christian writers, and the owner of Refined Services, which is a company that offers writing and editing services. Kate and her South African-born husband have three teenagers, and they live in the U.S., although have spent a large portion of their married life together in South Africa as well. Kate is going to chat to me about all sorts of things, from writing to what it's like to have to promote her work, but also to what it's like living in a cross-cultural relationship and dealing with things like race relations in the current climate in the USA. I'm really going to enjoy having a chat with her, and I hope that you enjoy it too. But before we go over to Kate, I just wanted to say a big thank you to The Wandering Bookseller, who has sponsored our book club this year. And if you want to join us in reading the books that we are reading this year, head on over to www.wanderingbookseller.com.au and there you can find the books that we're reading and a 15% discount on any of those particular books. And now over to Kate. Hey, Kate. It's so lovely to see you again. So good to see you too, Taryn. Thanks for inviting me. Kate, first question always is, how did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. Uh, my dad left when I was seven, and so my mom raised my younger sister and I from that point onward. And my dad was not a Christian, but my mom was a believer. And she prayed for us all the time, took us to church every week. We were there for midweek services, Sunday school, youth group. In, in, a, in a very real sense, the church was our family. And so I grew up in the church, but then in my teen years, I definitely lived a double life. I had my church friends, but then I also had friends from public school, sports, um, other groups that weren't Christians. And as a teenager, I really tried to fit in with that crowd as well. I was quite a people pleaser. And so I would, you know, try to please my church friends, but also please my non-Christian friends. So I definitely lived a double life with living one way on Sundays and Wednesday nights at youth group and another way on the weekends with other friends. And it was only in my first year of college, I went to a small Christian college with a roommate that I knew from high school who was a strong believer. And I was still living on that the edge of the fence, trying to kind of have the best of both worlds, so to speak. And one night I just realized you know, the Lord really convicted me that I had to pick a side. And it was largely because of my roommate's influence as well. She was really on fire for the Lord. And I could just sense in my own heart and with the choices that I was making with my lifestyle that I wasn't 
100% sold out for the Lord in, in my actions or in my heart. And so it was really in that year that the Lord convicted me and I, I just felt I had to pick a side. And he, by his grace, led me to the light and away from the darkness in the way that I was living. So that's not to say that I completely stepped away from sin immediately. I still struggle with sin every day, but there was a marked difference from that point onward that I'm really thankful for. And from that year, actually, I felt the Lord calling me to missions work and ended up transferring to a Bible college in that same first year of college, transferred to a Bible college, pursued cross-cultural missions, and um, was able to go into some volunteer work through that as a result. So cross-cultural missions, um, do you want to expand a little bit of what that is and, and where it led you to in particular? Yeah, so I first had an opportunity to go to India on a short-term missions trip for about two weeks, and that was a very eye-opening experience for my first time out of the country. And actually, I misspoke. So my first time out of the country was to Honduras. I went on a spring break missions trip in that first year of college. That was my first exposure to cross-cultural missions. Just a one-week trip, very short-term. I just really fell in love with the idea of serving in that way and came back and I was even more convicted and it was more solidified in my mind that this is what I wanted to do. And then upon transferring to Bible college, I was able to then go to India and spent two weeks there and um, just really continued to feel that the Lord was calling me to work somewhere besides in the U.S. And then in my final year at Bible college, I was able to um, arrange it that I could go to Cape Town, South Africa, where we met for what I thought would be a five-month experience, just one college semester. And I was going there to um, do volunteer mission work, working on a college campus, doing student ministry. And that turned into over 10 years of living in South Africa. I met my husband there and all three of our kids were born there as well. So it's crazy how God works here. We think we're doing one thing and then he leads us down a very different path. So you met your husband. Tell us a little bit more about who he is and how you met him and how you guys got together. I went over to Cape Town to volunteer on a college campus. There was a student ministry in place that had three male staff workers, but no female staff workers at that time. So they were looking for someone to help with the women's Bible studies and discipling some of the um, female students. So when I arrived, my husband now was one of the three male staff workers. But before I left Michigan, it was actually arranged for me that I could attend a particular church. I knew one family in Cape Town who you happen to be related to, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Palmer family. They were the only ones that I knew in Cape Town. And they said, come to our church. So I had plans to go to church with them. And they said, and we have this great Bible college, and you can study there. You can finish your studies there. So here, get a study permit, and you can come over on a study visa and take your, take your classes and volunteer at this place. So they arranged everything for me. And as it turned out, I met Cajiso, my husband, uh, at Sunday evening church service with, with the Palmers. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we shared an office doing campus ministry at the same, same college. And Tuesdays and went Thursdays, excuse me, we were in the same classes at the Bible College. So saw each other six days a week 
three <laughs> different places. And his version of the story is that I was stalking him. I can't well, did, really deny it, except that it was right. It was all arranged for me in advance. That's my defense. There we go. Exactly. You might have come from all the way overseas, but you had no idea he was on the other end. So you guys got married how much longer after that about? Right. So I arrived in July of 2002 and then we got engaged in 2003 and married in 2004. Yeah. Married two years later. Yeah. So Kahiso, South African guy, you're an American woman. You have added complications of cultural differences. You have an interracial marriage. Like, how has that been for you guys, especially now in a climate that we're living in where these things are very much the forefront of the news and people's um, perceptions and thinking? Like, how have you guys navigated a cross-cultural marriage? Right. We do get that question a lot. And we've been married now nearly 17 years. It will be 17 years next month. And... Really, it comes down to the fact that we do both love the Lord is the ultimate foundation. It sounds a bit cliche, but that really is the primary thing that we do have in common. And thankfully, that's the most important thing because it it determines our responses to various things, you know, pretty much everything. So in that sense, we can usually find each other common ground, even though we are very different. You know, he grew up in Africa. I grew up in middle-class America. He is a morning person. I'm a night person. You know, even some of the things that are not (laughs) cultural differences, we are very different. He's much more of an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. So we have a lot of differences, but when we do have conflict, we can go back to scripture and agree that that is the basis and that is what wins. So even if we have disagreements, we ultimately have to go back to scripture as the ultimate authority and truth. And that is what helps bring us back together and dictates our behavior toward one another, whether it's through repenting and forgiveness and um, that type of thing, you know, dictating the behavior that can help us find common ground again. So that's that's huge for us. I don't know how any couple does it if they don't have that same foundation, but that has really helped us to, I don't want to say gloss over differences, but it really has um, minimized the differences because we have that commonality. So we have a lot more in common with each other than someone from our own culture who's not a believer. So yeah. that really does make a big difference. Um, but it has been interesting this past year, I would say, with race relations in America coming, just becoming more and more heated. We found Cajeso has had a lot of opportunities to talk with white Americans in particular, but also black Americans about their experience and just trying to listen, but also educate some people who may not fully understand what the issues are and not know how to respond in a biblical way. So that's been a blessing that he can make use of that opportunity to educate people in that way and encourage people and challenge people in that way. And I've learned a lot from him, just watching him, listening to him, learning from him too about um, how can we treat each other in a way that reflects that we're all made in the image of God. Okay. 
I'm just so encouraged that God places us where he wants us. And, you know, at face value, you look at South Africa and the issues in South Africa and the needs there. And then you look at America and it seems like, you know, the land of milk and honey compared. And yet God is using the South African man in this so-called land of milk and honey for his gospel purposes and has created him uniquely for that position. It's just so encouraging and and we can rejoice that God has placed you guys where you need to be right now, which is which is awesome. What ministry are you involved in at the moment? Well, I did do some teaching in women's Bible studies and discipleship at my church in the past few years. COVID has sort of put a damper on that in some ways that we aren't able to meet in person as much. But what I am able to do on a more regular basis, even online as well, is um, a speaking and a writing ministry that I really enjoy. My mom had cancer. It was, gosh, she was first diagnosed in 2003, had cancer for about 10 years, and then passed away in um, 2012, excuse me, 2011. This was the 10th, this will be the 10th anniversary. So September 2011. And when she was really sick, I started writing more. I started just processing my own emotions, feelings, you know, reflecting on what was going on, writing out the experience. And I found writing to be very therapeutic and really started off doing it more for myself. But as after my mom passed away, it became a distraction for me in the midst of my grief. And so I really spent a lot more time dedicating to writing at that time just to get my mind off of other things you know missing her I was far away from her as well and that has just grown and I found so much joy in and so I started writing more for other people beyond just writing for myself and found that it was a way that I could encourage and minister to other people at a distance when I was still at home raising young kids so that was a real blessing that when I couldn't necessarily be out with other people, meeting in person, that I could still minister through writing. So that has grown, and I now have, um, I host an online writing community called Five Minute Friday, which is a great blessing to me, and um, it's meant to encourage and equip Christian writers. And we gather online, Facebook, Twitter, to just encourage one another in our writing. And then I also speak at various events as well different topics depending on what people what the nature of the event is so the five minute friday if i understand correctly and any woman participate what what actually happens with five minute friday yeah we have a few men in the group as well it started out as uh it started out with a, an author named lisa joe baker who thought what could i do with five minutes if i had five minutes what could i do with five minutes and she decided to write those five minutes so she set a timer just a free write without editing not overthinking just just writing and started to writing exercises using a one word prompt so maybe the prompt is cold or free or it could be anything but just a one word prompt and setting a timer for five minutes and then she invited her online community to join her in that free writing exercise and it became a weekly thing a weekly routine weekly habit So she hosted the community uh, for 
probably four or five years. And then she asked me if I would take it over. And I've been doing it now for about six years. So I share a one word prompt every week and people are invited to free write for five minutes flat and share their work and then read each other's writing and comment and encourage one another in their writing. And then I have various articles and blog posts as well on the site. And we have, we've had two in-person retreats and we have some uh, webinars and Zoom meetings and things like that where we can just support one another as writers. That's fabulous. And I'm imagining that from there, there have been some Christian writers who've come out um, from that group. I mean, you, you certainly have. You've got a couple of books that have been published. Um, why don't we start with you? Yeah, it's almost kind of like a launch pad. Yeah. So tell us about how you got launched into being a published writer. Yeah, after my mom passed away and I was writing more, I was submitting articles to a lot of different online magazines and print magazines. And I started to realize that a large theme within my writing was the overall theme of home. I was an American living in South Africa, building a new family in South Africa. Uh, and my mom had just passed away in America, feeling as though I didn't fully belong in South Africa, but whenever I went back to the States, I had been gone so long and changed so much that I didn't fully be belong there either. And so just struggling with that tension of where is my home and asking that question. And so I started to just compile the writing that I had already done and tried to see, you know, what could I do with this? Could I potentially compile this in a single volume that could be become a book on different themes related to home and started doing that just to see what would happen and then I read the book Surprised by Motherhood by Lisa Jo Baker who was the original host of 5 Minute Friday and her book was a memoir and she's actually a South African living in America and I just was so blown away by how beautifully she was able to express truth within story, within true story. So I thought, wow, you know, she has done this in such a captivating way that she's going to reach readers who want to read a true story who might not pick up a doctrine book or a theology book or a book about heaven but she's still communicating truth um, through these truths. So I thought maybe I should try that instead. Maybe I could reach more people potentially and communicate in a more artful and winsome way if I were to rewrite what I want to say, but in the form of a memoir. So I did that. I rewrote um, starting from the beginning and then looked for publishers and I found one who was interested in publishing it was um, Discovery House, which was part of our Daily Bread Ministries, and ended up pub having that book traditionally published. And that was in, it finally came out in 2018. It was about a four-year process, but came out in 2018. And then I have self-published a couple of books since then as well. Okay. And the ones you self-published, what are they about? One is called Letters to Grief. And... I did write that when my mom was sick and had passed away. It was more trying to express what grief was like uh, and just grief personified. So, so 
using an artistic way of writing to grief personified to express what I was feeling um, through my experience in hopes that it would be an encouragement to other people. And then the other one I co-authored with a friend named Shannon Popkin, and that one is called Influence, Building a Platform that Elevates Jesus, Not Me. And that one is geared toward Christian writers and speakers and those in ministry who are told that they need to have a particular platform in order to get published or get invited to speak, but that often contradicts the Christian message in Christian life that we're supposed to humble ourselves, not elevate ourselves. So that tension of wanting to use our gifts and you know, use the gifts that we've been given to reach people, but not do a glorifying way. So that is what that one is about. So that's one I have not read, but really should read. <laughs> Because I completely experienced that tension myself because it is a difficult thing. You you have this thing that you need to share. You're required by publishers and uh, you know, the, the industry to promote. I had no idea how much authors were expected to do the promotion themselves. I kind of thought, well, if you get your book traditionally published, they've got a team to do that. But there's so much expectation placed on the author. And it is a tricky thing have that sense of self-promotion it feels um disingenuous it it feels wrong in a sense but um at the same time to be able to get the words of your story or um you know into the hands of an audience you have to do this this way i like that you've described it as a tension because it is this tension between what what can be perceived as self-promotion and self-glorification versus doing the job of getting a product out there. Yeah, it's very tricky when, you know, whenever I post about myself or my work on social media, it, it feels very much like, look at me, look at me. But at the same time, we are also called to be obedient to use the gifts that we've been given. So I think it's also unhelpful if we were to, you know, uh, under a, under under a basket or under a bushel. So we want to stand, you know, be a city on the hill without saying, "Look at me." We want to be on the hill, but pointing people to Christ and not to yeah. ourselves and what we have, quote unquote, accomplished. Yeah, I heard a, a really good um, analogy recently that um, in, in an article I read about pastors, but it would apply to Christians just generally that um, we should be a window to Christ. And not, you know, not either a mirror reflecting others, what others want to see, or a painting, a glorious painting, so that people take pride in us, but actually a window that, that people see through us to Christ. And I thought, that's really, really helpful. That is. But, yeah, it's easier said than done. <laughs> that's for sure. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And I, I don't think that, at least I have not gotten to the point where I have I, I consider myself to have arrived. It's it's an ongoing process. And sometimes it can happen, you know, I can switch my motivation and my motives halfway through one particular, you know, I can say, oh, I'm going to, sh to share this on social media for this purpose. And halfway through the post, I'm glorifying myself or doing it to draw attention to myself rather than out of obedience to the Lord. It, it can switch so quickly because we are so fallen and fallible. So absolutely, it is it is constant struggle. 
It really is. I'm glad that you are so transparent about that experience because it's easy to try and, I guess, sanitize what we do and how we do it. Uh, but the truth is that it's it's messy. It's every every motive and every thought is messy at the end of the day because there is pride buried in sometimes very obviously, but sometimes not so obviously in the things that we do. Yeah, and it it takes some serious thought and reflection and bringing these things to God and bringing our ourselves to God honestly uh, to keep on keeping on and right. doing doing the things that He's called us to do. I'm super encouraged by what you have done, and I've have read um, your book, uh, your memoir, and in one night, <laughs> I remember it kept me up until like 3 a.m. It was very, very good, and I would encourage listeners to get a hold of it. Um, where can they get a hold of your book? Well, if you live in the U.S., I know you have mostly Australian listeners, but if you are living in the U.S. listening to this, you can go to 5minutefriday.com forward slash shop. Otherwise, you can look for it on Amazon. Uh, do you have Amazon in Australia? Yep, we do. Okay, all right. You can check there as well. Um, I've heard that it did appear in some Australian bookstores as well. Les Palmer said she found it in a bookstore in Australia. So uh, if you really would like to get a paperback copy in Australia, you could always go to your Christian bookstore or general bookstore and ask them to order it. And I'm sure they could get a copy as well. Yeah. So uh, one of our supporters here at the Lydia Project is a bookstore called The Wandering Bookseller, uh, .com.au. And they mostly work um, in a, in a physical sense, they work with organizations and conferences and church camps. And so they are truly a wandering bookseller, but they also have a big online presence. And they've been supporting us in supporting our book club and uh, giving our listeners a 15% discount. And so they have said, if you need or want books, you can request and they can get hold of them. And that seems to be the case for most bookstores. If you just request the, the book and the author, they can get hold of it for you and and yeah, be at, be at your local bookstore. So I would encourage people to ask at their local bookstores if they don't want to go the internet route. Um, right. Fantastic. Yeah. And I don't even know if I mentioned, but the title is A Place to Land, A Story of Longing and Belonging. Um, Kate, lots has been going on in your life and uh, your ministry certainly seems like it takes up a lot of your time. What else is big on your radar at the moment? Well, we have already mentioned race relations in America, and that has been something that has been even in our home. As you mentioned, my husband is a black South African, and we have mixed race children. So I've also been passionate about just supporting women of color, particularly in the writing and publishing sphere, because those are the circles that I'm often already in. And it is a big issue in America and abroad that women of color are not getting the same opportunities to be published or to speak as white women are. So there are actual statistics out there, even publishing jobs. There are very few people of color in publishing jobs and within Christian publishing. So I do try to use what small influence I have online and the connections that I, that I have through my own writing experience to elevate some of those voices and just, you know, knock on doors on their behalf or introduce them to 
agents or editors who might be able to give them an opportunity to take their work further. Um, I just feel passionately about that, that it's so important that we have a more diverse range of voices available to us within the church, that we don't just get our doctrine and theology from one perspective. Uh, you know, I'm not saying necessarily different, such a varied theological perspective, but varied cultural perspectives, I think is so important. So when you say not theological, but cultural, what can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. So I do think, you know, I did go to Bible college and we had to read various books from various authors and to understand the different perspectives that are out there. But I think once we understand the the persuasion that we believe to be the biblical point of view, unless we're trying to understand the differing the theological perspectives, um, it's, it's most encouraging to our faith and to our walk if we are reading edifying work. So work that's not going to lead us astray or be on the verge of false teaching, but would be theologically solid and strong and biblical, but not always from a white person's perspective. If, does that make okay. sense? Yeah, no, it totally, totally does make sense. I think there's a great richness in hearing from other people's cultural backgrounds, especially, as you say, if the theology is strong and robust, you can approach people's work with a sense of, I guess, with a sense of confidence that you're on the same page in terms of theology, which makes it easier to really hear and listen to one another well without suspicion or doubt, because you know what underpins their experiences of people from a theological point of view. There's so much to learn from each other, I reckon. I'm encouraged to know that that's a work that you're doing and you're helping people to hear, because it has been for the longest time very Eurocentric, I suppose. And mm -hmm. do you find yourself connecting mostly with American women of color, or are you able to connect as well to women of color in from Africa or other parts of the world? I do have connections with others around the world as well. Some, it is sometimes tricky to connect them with U.S. publishers. So if it's a particular interest in being traditionally published, it's not always as easy to take that um, all the way, you know, in terms of get, getting a traditionally published book. But also it, I have um, friends who are in Europe and in Africa as well who have come to me and asked me to edit some of their work. I also work as a copy editor, so I've been able to edit some work for individuals who just on a freelance basis, decide to self-publish their work, which has been a great blessing too, to just pour into them in that way and support their work in that way, which I really enjoy. Oh, that's great. Kate, what's keeping you standing firm and growing as a Christian at the moment? I would say my husband, actually. Um, I am very blessed to have a strong Christian who leads our family so well spiritually and I'm really grateful for that, and I've realized just how much I have taken that for granted. But he's so faithful to lead our family in devotions every evening. Sometimes it ends up being more like a sermon because he gets so excited <laughs> and passionate. You know, we but we're fed so well just through his insights and his what he gleans from his own reading. 
And, you know, just thinking back, he has really been an anchor for me through seasons of grief when my mom passed away. And I just didn't feel like going to church. I just didn't want to. I just didn't feel like it. He would just keep taking me to church, keep taking me to sit under the word. And even during this past year and a bit with the pandemic, you know, being stuck in the house with each other, uh, he's still been a great encouragement, getting us to listen to messages online and being faithful to lead our family in devotions and prayer and has really been consistent in a time when it would have been easy to sort of fall off the map a bit or just get lazy because we didn't have to go physically to church for several months when things were closed down. So uh, I'm thankful for his consistency and that ability that he continues to provide for for me personally and for our family. There are many women who wish that that was their situation and it's encouraging to know that there are generations to come who have been raised like that, and we can we can be thankful to God. Yeah, and it's not too late. You know, it's there's always time to start new new habits too. If that's not happening in the home, that we can we can nudge a little bit. You know, for those who are listening who are married, to say, hey, what do you think about doing this either in the mornings or at night, something like that, it's getting a reading plan going or a book or something like that to as a guide and our kids in the home I know you know this Taryn that once they get a habit or routine they're very push the parents to continue that routine say wait a second you know we can't go to bed yet we haven't read the bible we haven't prayed we haven't done Mm, so that's one way to be held accountable as well Absolutely. Yeah, kids are very good for holding us accountable, that's for sure, especially when it's something they particularly want to be doing. Kate, favorite Bible verse? Do you have one? Um, Could you share it with us? Yeah, one passage that really um, grew in meaning for me when my mom had cancer was um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. And I keep going back to that one. It just has been a great encouragement. Encouragement So I'll read that now. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's awesome. We've just recently finished a series in 2 Corinthians, and I found the entire book incredibly, incredibly challenging and encouraging. And that verse in particular, those verses in particular, um, are exactly that. For us not to lose heart is, it's always timely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's true, yes. And to keep our eyes on on eternity as well that was one of the themes from my book a place to land too just realizing that as believers wherever we are in the world whether we feel that we have a place that we can call home or we don't we can take comfort knowing that this world is not our final home but that we have eternity with the lord to look forward to and to anticipate as our true home for those who are in christ absolutely Absolutely. And very, very important in a time like now where there's so much uncertainty with pandemics and cultural issues and political issues. And it can feel so unsettling and concerning. And yet 
as Christians, we have this assurance of Christ forever. It doesn't matter what happens ultimately on this earth because that can never be taken from us. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Kate, it's been great having you here with us at the Lydia Project. Thanks so much for having me, Taryn. I really appreciated it. Yeah, it was good. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Deffer, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.